Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. We do have a timeline for you on this Thursday, 10.35 a.m. Domestic violence charges against Redskins linebacker Ruben Foster have been dropped by the Florida State Attorney's Office. Foster remains on the commissioner's exempt list, and we now wait to see if he'll face any punishment from the league. So it is wild card time. Hard not to love it, just a little yeah. bit more when it really matters. Welcome to NFL Live. Jack Collinsworth, the great Adam Schefter, the two three-time Super Bowl champs. You know Wood, you know Teddy Brucey, of course, over on the corner. Let's get straight into this wild card weekend thing. Let's set the table for you right here. The Colts were 1-5. The Texans were 0-3. They finished a combined 20-3. It's the first playoff matchup between the two AFC South teams since the division was created back in 2002. The Seahawks will fly to Jerry's World for the Cowboys. Seattle finished as the NFL's top rushing team, while Zeke Elliott led all players in rushing. So accept this game and expect this game to really hammer the rock. And on Sunday, it's the Chargers, the Ravens, a little Week 16 rematch. 21-year-old Lamar Jackson going up against a 37-year-old Phillip Rivers. It will be the third largest age gap between starting quarterbacks for a postseason game. And Eagles close out the weekend in Chicago where Nick Foles has seen it all, but that Chicago D. Hey, Jack. Well, the matchup of the weekend might just be Nick Foles against the Bears defense. We all know that Foles is coming in red hot, but he's also the best postseason quarterback statistically since he came into the league in 2013, number one in QBR and completion percentage over that time. He's going up against the Bears D. That's top ranked in just about every statistical category this year, including opponent points per game and takeaways. The key is going to be neutralizing Khalil Mack and the defensive front of the Chicago Bears. Tight end Zach Ertz told me that he wouldn't be surprised if he stays in early to help on Mac, saying that they're not going to let one guy wreck an entire game plan. The other key for Foles to continue to get the ball out quickly. He's been as good as anyone over the last three games in that category getting the ball out in on average 2.4 seconds. He said that the key is going to be to lean on each other and to play fast in order to get past this Bears team. Jack? Great stuff there. There is nothing in this world quite like Chicago football in the icy month of January. So we have to welcome in our Bears reporter. He is Jeff Dickerson. Nick Foles is the reigning king of January. We know that, but the Bears defense is the best in football. How do they plan to attack Foles? Jack, they say they're not going to change anything. As you heard right there, they're the best defense in the league. Number one in takeaways, uh, interceptions. Khalil Mack is that game record with 12 and a half sacks on the season. The Bears feel like they can pressure any quarterback, and if they do, they give their back end so many chances to make plays. Now, keep an eye, though, on safety Eddie Jackson, the Bears pro bowler in his second season. Found a couple of weeks with an ankle injury. We just spoke with Matt Nagy. Uh, Jackson did not practice yesterday, if he'd have practiced today. So if he's limited this weekend, that's going to help Nick Foles. But overall, the Bears say they're not going to change much defensively. Let's go to the other side of the ball then, Jeff. It's playoff game number one for young Mitch Trubisky. How are they starting to prepare him, this staff, for that environment that he'll be in? 
they don't want Trubisky to put too much pressure on himself because he's been guilty of doing that at times this year. Trubisky admitted didn't play very well, was kind of overwhelmed in the moment in the second half of their week one loss against Green Bay. And that Bears win over the Rams a couple of weeks ago was the best win for this team this season. It was also arguably Trubisky's worst performance with three interceptions. He said he wasn't playing within the flow of the offense. That's something that has to change this weekend. The Bears do have comfort, though, in knowing that Trubisky's played in some big games as of late, some playoff-like atmospheres against Minnesota last week and a couple of weeks ago against the Packers. So if he doesn't try to do too much, they think he'll have success against the Eagles. All right, Jeff, get those long johns ready. Thank you, sir. All right, so let's take a look at Nick Foles. You know the drill. A little postseason football in his NFL career as a starter. The QBR nearly 30 points higher in the playoffs compared to the regular season. Foles also averages more yards per attempt in the playoffs, and his 72% completion percentage rate is the best of any player with at least 50 passes in NFL postseason history. So it's experience versus innocence on Sunday night, a little like our crew in some ways. How does that play <laughs> How does that play a factor? Does it really matter? What do you guys think with all that? I think it matters, but I think in this situation, I think Jeff was just said it about when you talk about Mitchell Trubisky. He played in playoff, a playoff atmosphere last week against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings needed that game, and we saw that fan base come out. They made a lot of noise, and Trubisky stayed within himself and did, did his job. I think it's about the running game, getting Howard going, getting Tariq Cohen going. You don't have to win this game on, you, on your arm, on your arm strength, throwing the ball down the field. Use his strengths, and his strengths right now, Teddy, are his legs and ability to get out of the pocket. Yeah, and if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, I, I want to, I want Trubisky to feel play football. I want to keep the game close yeah. early. I want it to be a fourth quarter game where Trubisky, you do have to make a play on third down. It has to come down to you and not that defense to have him on the field in those situations. That's how you make a young quarterback feel the playoffs, feel the pressure. We've been there before. This is these are the reigning world champions. Put the pressure on him so he feels what playoff football is all about. But here's the big difference in the Philadelphia Eagles other than St. Nick Foles stepping in and leading the Eagles to the postseason. The pass rush, the defense, has gotten much better Absolutely. down the stretch. Michael Bennett has been a difference maker down the stretch. They've gotten pass rush from everybody there. And this is a defense that has three of its top four defensive backs on IR. 14 players in all on IR. And yet the pass rush has been good enough, both lines really, the offensive line, which Trubisky doesn't have to worry about, and the defensive line to make a difference and help this team get to the postseason. Yeah, since Thanksgiving, I like to pay attention to statistics. Since Thanksgiving, the Philadelphia Eagles are third in the league after sacking the quarterback. They've been surging after the trip the fan has won. How do you nullify that pass rush? They'll dump off to Tariq Cohen, slow him down a little bit, a little screen game. I'm telling you, the, run, the running backs in this game for the, for the Chicago Bears will play a huge factor in this because you're not going to block Michael Bennett and that a defensive line coming. So Foles has been on another heater. We, we know that, but he's taking some shots along the way in this thing. Jason Peters still banged up. So how does the rest of this offensive line, do you think, hold up against Mack and the Bears? <sighs> You don't hold up against these guys. You're going to lose. You're going to lose in one-on-one situations. They're going to get to Nick Foles. But you hope those situations are when Nick Foles, the frequency that he gets rid of the ball, Jack, is quick. So to Sproles, to Ertz, quick slants, those type of plays, play action passes, get rid of the ball fast. That's the only way it's going to help Nick Foles because he's going to take shots. 
Nick Foles is used to taking shots all the way back to he was at the University of Arizona. He was getting crushed because the offensive line couldn't block for him. <laughs> so believe Arizona, is that right? I saw it, okay? I was watching him when he was playing college. And you saw the shot he took from Jadavian Clowney like, right in the rib cage, yeah. but he still stands there in there and delivers. That's who he's going to be. He's going to be there, but don't take too many of those. Get rid of it quickly. And he's still sore. They took x-rays right after the game. The x-rays came back negative. They didn't think it was a major injury, but he's clearly going to be in some discomfort. Now, the upside for the Eagles, as you mentioned, just the defensive line has played well down the stretch. The offensive line has played well down the stretch, and sure. it is going to be more incumbent upon that unit than ever before to protect this quarterback who's banged up against this defense in those conditions. Monsters of the midway. Have fun with that. You know what, Alshon Jeffrey goes back to yeah. Chicago. So you think there's going to be some, some get back there in that situation? And, and, we, and we figured, I mean, we haven't seen these receivers. I haven't seen Alshon Jeffrey early in the season. You saw a lot of Zach Ertz, but now you got Jeffrey coming up and playing well. Aguilar's finding his way. Golden Tate's becoming a, a force. Now you just, you're starting to see this offense with under Nick Foles really exploit the entire off the, off the field. You've heard Nick Foles speak. It's almost like he knows it's coming to an end. Mm-hmm. His time yeah. in Philadelphia and he's playing like it. I mean, he's just throwing it up yeah. there and trusting his receivers. Deep shots. I'm going to throw it. It's the last time I may have this jersey on. So that type of, you know, that carefree yeah. attitude, I've won a Super Bowl. I'm the Super Bowl MVP. This may be it. So, fellas, be ready because it's coming. <laughs> right. I don't even care if you're open, but it's going to be up in the air. Win yeah. the 50-50 balls. Hey, so, so I'm checking the, uh, the radar here. Getting, weather? Little, getting a little weather report for us. <laughs> what do we got in the Midwest, Jack? 40 degrees. A balmy 40 degrees. Oh, balmy 40, huh? In Chicago. I bet Leave those night winds, though, get rolling a little bit. You know how it is. That'll be a nighttime game, so they'll, they'll still get cranked up as we go. We'll still I, I remember going to a Bears-Eagles playoff game in Chicago. Fog. Cold. Yeah, fog and they, played, they played the Fog Bowl. Oh, they played yeah. cold games. 40 degrees. This is going to be nothing. Stay at the beach. Stay at the beach. I like to- so with a Week 16 rematch flipping across the country, we need our finest boots on the ground. Live from Baltimore, welcome in our Ravens reporter, Jameson Hensley. Jameson, we heard Lamar is hungry for that first playoff win, but how are the Ravens preparing him for the moment? Well, Jack, the Ravens really aren't going to do too much to prepare Lamar Jackson, even though this is going to be his first playoff start. And you got to remember, Jackson took over this Ravens team when it was four and five. So essentially every start for him has been a playoff game. And the words you come hearing the most from teammates and coaches about Jackson, you hear poise, maturity, confidence. And left tackle Ronnie Stanley just told me in the locker room today that it seems like Jackson loves to play big in the big games and he relishes those pressure situations. And the Ravens have seen it. He's gone into Kansas City and has taken the Chiefs into overtime. Mm -hmm. He's gone cross-country and has upset the Chargers in his first primetime game. And last Sunday against the Browns, he scored two touchdowns with the season on the line. I think maybe the biggest concern is Jackson trying to do too much. Offensive coordinator Marty Morningwig said today that some players think of themselves as Superman. And Lamar Jackson, he's one of them. I love it. And the truth is they've been playing effectively playoff football down the stretch. Jameson, great stuff. Thank you very much. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 
Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. So, so it was a buck 81. I think it was 181. Two picks is what Rivers finished the night with. Tough game. Now it's at home. Yeah. What do they have to change most offensively, talking about the Chargers in this game? Well, I think they got to run the football. I think Melvin Gordon needs to become a more of a factor because we're seeing the matchups on the outside. I think the Chargers go into every game thinking, well, we have Keenan Allen, we have Williams, we have better receivers, more talented guys than you. Well, the matchup with Baltimore is, hey, we got Jimmy Smith coming in playing the nickel. We got Humphreys. We got Brandon Carr. We got guys that can match up with you. And we got Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson. So we match up extremely well. They have to run the ball with Melvin Gordon, play more, I think, more of a smash mouth game than just go, go dropping back and putting it all on Phillip Rivers to complete passes yeah, down. Yeah, because running the ball, you're going to be in more favorable third Absolutely. down situations, third and shorts, because if there's third and long, you just know where Phillip Rivers is going to be as a defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale. He's going to be six yards to seven yards deep on that spot with no movement, so then you can have all of the pass rush games that you want. And the Ravens' offense did enough, but they weren't excellent by any means. If you're the Chargers' D, do you adjust? Do you do things differently? Well, you hey, listen, now, this, and this is what I look at this time around. There's not going to be any surprises with the Chargers defense. They know. This is their second time. They know what Lamar Jackson is about. The first time, okay, you caught me off guard. Where We weren't disciplined in our run lanes. This time, there'll be a more discipline. They've gotten a, their first feel of looking at him and seeing him. Now they're going to – I think it'll be a tougher this time around for Lamar Jackson as far as what they ran last time because the, the Chargers will be prepared for it. If there's any, any facet of the game that the, I thought the Los Angeles Chargers defense was caught off guard – just those couple play action passes, yeah. Because they got Lamar and they got that there. They got that running game on their yeah. mind. That all of a sudden you take that extra step. The tight ends buy you on the boot. They got the RPO going the other way. Also, they've got basic play action pass. It's a good little play action plan. Lamar's gotten better and better. But here's the thing about the Chargers: they've been most dangerous on the road. When you get them away from home, which has been almost like a road game for them, because opposing teams, fans infiltrate. The StubHub Center, which isn't called the StubHub Center anymore. Now they're on the road. They're 7-1 and one on the road this year. They've been the best road team in the NFL along with the New Orleans Saints. And they've gotten a glimpse at Lamar Jackson. Tough guy to prepare for. But he's the youngest quarterback ever to be making a postseason start. This will be a new experience for him. It won't be such a new experience for a team that's thrived on the road. And, yes, Baltimore is one of the toughest teams in the league to face, a team you don't want to see in the postseason. But the Chargers have the elements it takes to match up with them, and we'll see whether or not Philip. Yeah, the, the problem I do have with the Chargers is their slow start. They've had so I mean, begin games they've started off so slow, and then they come alive in the second half. They cannot start slow going up, to, up into Baltimore with that defense, and then get, let, let Lamar Jackson have the ball, control the control the clock. They got to get starting fast, early in this game, make the big plays they need. Just quickly, how important do you think you get? You two played in a bazillion uh, playoff games, three Super Bowls each. So, so tell me this: being home in your first playoff game, starting as a quarterback. How important is that for Lamar Jackson? Well, I think it's a huge advantage, uh, a huge advantage to where, you know, everything's familiar. You know, you have your, the, you're not going to be dealing with crowd noise, those type of things. I mean, to, to settle down a young quarterback like Lamar Jackson early, if I were Marty Morningwig, I'd make sure he gets that run quick. That quarterback power, that mm-hmm. quarterback counter, just let him get that run to settle yeah. his nerves before he has to make that first throw. Um, but if he does that, he'll be fine. All right, he's 21 years old. We'll see, we'll see what he can do. Think about, what, think about what you were doing at 21. You're still 21, but think about what you were doing at 21. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what I was doing. It wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> 
So there's more drama in Pittsburgh and no game this week. So when we take a look at the finances, maybe, Adam, how likely is it, do you think, that they'd actually trade? Well, first and foremost, I think when you talk to people around the league, they say that the situation is even worse than what is being portrayed in the public. So we get an idea of what goes on behind closed doors. We in the public have an idea of some of these things. But it's gotten to the point where I think a lot of people around the league believe that the Pittsburgh Steelers will be open to trading Antonio Brown, who has not requested a trade, but you see some of the monies there. He's due a $2.5 million roster bonus on the fifth day of the 2019 league year, which will be March 18th. So really, that's your unofficial deadline. They have up until the fifth day. Now, they could agree to make a trade for Antonio Brown today if they want. Remember the Washington Redskins training for Alex Smith at the Super Bowl last year. But it cannot be processed. It cannot become official until the new league year begins on March 13th. The money is such that Yes, there would be a cap hit of $21-plus but you'd have money that comes off the books. And while you're eating that money, cap is not as important as cash, actual cash outlay. You can always make the cap work. You can always restructure more contracts, get more people to redo deals. You can do anything you want with the cap. Cash is a bigger issue. Cash is not a concern here. And so for that reason alone, so it's doable. This is doable. It's absolutely doable. There are people who believe it's doable. He's 31 years old. We just saw the Dallas Cowboys give up a first-round draft pick for Amari Cooper, who is not as productive, who is not as accomplished as Antonio Brown, who's had seven straight seasons of 100-plus yard catches. He's had unparalleled production, but he's 31. The contract yeah, is friendly. Is yeah. Contract yeah. is friendlier, being that Pittsburgh's paid him his guaranteed money. The cap number would be like $12 million for the next three years. So, again, he'd be attractive to other teams. There will be teams that will have some level of interest. I think in the end, the Pittsburgh Steelers get back, let's say, a first-round pick that the Cowboys gave up for a 24-year-old wide receiver in Amari Cooper. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending on how many teams are involved. I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah. If they were to really get rid of he's their best offensive player. I know they've, they've um, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster was the team MVP. That probably mm-hmm. upset Antonio a little bit also, but he was very productive. Juju, can he be the number one? But you saw this year how Le'Veon Bell was not there. Connor came in and he did the job, all right? You, you got your back there for the future. But what happened when Connor went down? That's when you started to see a, a little bit of, I mean, a little bit of a difference. They still were productive and won, but, but having no Connor hurt them. So if AB's gone, Juju's number one. Now your depth is just affected. I, this, this team is. It is. Yeah, you know what? Listen, they, they, we need to pump the, the Steelers need to pump the brakes before we start thinking about trading. AB right now. Listen, I think I, I know everything's a little volatile right now, but maybe they need to step back from, from this and then say, okay, look, we've already lost Le'Veon Bell. We're losing him. We're going to lose possibly our best player on the football team in Antonio Brown because it was, we had a fallout. Let's, let's figure some things out. Now, I'm, I'm all for it, understanding that Antonio Brown needs to be disciplined. There needs to be some discipline here. But when we start tra- talking about trading, you said the right word, and that's emotions. Yes. Everybody's emotional right now. Yes, let's Steeler fans, hold on. the Steeler hold players. On. We didn't make the playoffs, all of the drama that went in. If I'm a Steeler player, I just want to say, I want out of here and fix it, coach. Yeah. You do your job, I'm going to do mine, which is go hit this, the golf course and get on vacation. This is, an, this is not just about what happened last week. All right. This is about an accumulation of incidents. This is about an accumulation of relationships. This is about a larger body of work than just last week. 
Okay, it didn't just happen. We're not saying that a trade is possible based off one incident from last week. We're talking about other incidents from other years. And you say, okay, what about the depth? And again, his production is unparalleled. I want to say that he's one of the two or three best wide receivers in the game. But every team, every team in time Mm -hmm. transitions to younger players and they go on and they've got Juju and they've got Eli Rodgers and they've got James Washington. Mm -hmm. And no team in the league has done a better job of drafting wide receivers, developing wide receivers than the Pittsburgh Steelers. You don't replace that production, but you can find somebody else. Oh, you just said it. You can find someone. No, no, no. no. Production's one thing, but if you listen to what you're talking about, emotion. I'm. If you listen to Mike Tomlin and what he said, and we talked, he he brought up darkest hour in terms of our darkest hour, and then he was not there. Darkest hour. I hear last straw. This was it. The straw that broke the camel's back. I just can't take it anymore. And as leaders in the locker rooms at times, it's like, coach, we'll handle it. We'll handle it. Don't worry. We'll get this guy right. But there comes a time leaders in the locker room, like Darren and I, look to the coach and say, you know what? You do your job now. You do your job and handle this because he's out of control. And Tomlin did that. He sat him for the Bengal game. I mean, in a game where they needed yeah. that he couldn't handle it and sat him. So now, what are you doing in the offseason? How would this go down in New England, Teddy? I mean, this, something like this happens in New England. What, what would go down? He would have been traded a year and a half ago is what, how this would have happened. Mm. He would have, never okay. would have gotten to this point. He would have been out of there by now because Belichick would have seen – he would have seen where this was going based on his behavior. He would have talked to his veteran leadership and saying, it's coming out of control here. All right, we're losing or he's getting off the rails. And then he would eventually got rid of him before it got to the point where you got to a game and it's your darkest hour. And now you can't play him because he's done enough to con- that's the word is conduct detrimental to your team that you just can't have him out there because he's that much of a distraction. Okay, but what's the window of opportunity for this football team with Ben Roethlisberger? How many more years are we talking about? Maybe, maybe one. Year, maybe one year left. I mean, you're okay. So you're going to let AB go. We're going to let AB go, and we're going to say Juju's our guy, and then Washington and whatever without. Le'Veon Bell. So we're going to basically get rid of our two best players, and we're going to say we have the opportunity to win a championship with Ben Roethlisberger in one year. It's not happening that way, fellas. This window of opportunity's fault. If you let AB go, then Ben's going to be gone the next year, and now here we go all over again, starting oh, all over. Oh, I just you got to think see. too. You got to think too. You got young players that are so that that are borderline special. Okay, James Conner is a good player. I don't want him to continually see this because there. I don't know James, all right, but it seems like this is a guy that, that, that does it the right way. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. You're the type of guy that we want in this locker room, leading this team, your story, your leadership, what you've been for that community, and there. We want this to be the new norm, and we want this out. How many times? How many times? How many times? Never did out. How many times today have you seen New England move on from a star player for different reasons, albeit Richard Seymour or Chandler Jones or any player that you could come up with. There have been some great players that New England has dispatched over the years, right? Bill People has, find it so hard to imagine a star like Antonio Brown, who's so no, great at what he does, yep. that a team could actually move on from them. But they can and they do. This happens. That's the NFL. Yeah. Well, I just think that at some point you've got to sit back as an organization and say, okay, let's let the smoke clear a little bit. Let's, get, let's think with clear heads and let's not make an emotional decision and let's figure this Don't out. Don't you think he has planned something? Like, keep hearing part that, of this is him wanting out of there, yeah, too. I keep hearing that word, darkest hour, and I think Tomlin's had enough. That's all, that's all, that's all I remember. That's all I can, wow. I can get that out of my mind of hearing that and hearing him say that. that yeah. At that point, 
or it's all on the line, man, we still don't want you. We still don't need you to play. Yeah. Agents calling me and telling me that you can play, it's not on the menu. Yeah. I, I'm in, I'm in no way. The There's a lot of stuff going on there. I'm, There's a lot yeah, of stuff going on there. I'm in no way done talking about this, but it's my job, so we got to do this. So this is the pass catcher spotlight. Big wild card weekend. Believe it or not, there's still some teams out fighting for a ring. So let's go to the best pass catcher with the best matchup. Teddy, did you figure out who I'll start it. Okay, I'm going to start. T.Y. Hilton has done incredible things versus the Texans this year. That's obvious. So the 863 pass yards versus the Texans this season. So he's going to be my matchup. They've tried pressing him with Jonathan Joseph. Didn't work. They tried being off. Didn't work. They tried being deep on play action pass. Didn't work. Weren't deep enough. So... This has got to be my matchup. I mean, something's got to be done. But in the past, based on what I've seen, this has got to be a good matchup. All right, T.Y. And I'm going to go worst matchup. I'm going to go with Zach Ertz. You know, you look at Zach Ertz, and he's had a great season. But now going up against the Chicago Bears defense who find ways to get balls out, find ways to to cover you extremely well on the underneath route. I think there's going to be so much pressure on Nick Foles. He's not going to have time to get the ball to Zach Ertz this week. Zach Ertz is going to have the worst matchup this week. Okay, I'm going X-Factor here. And I'm going to go with the Baltimore Raven passing attack from Lamar Jackson. Yes, the passing attack, but off of play action. And watch the Baltimore tight ends versus the Los Angeles Chargers. All of these linebackers and safeties are going to be enamored by the run game by LJ. The boots, the RPOs are going to be the ones where Boyle or Hurst, Andrews, making plays like this, they're going to have to react off of this, and it's going to be tough to do. Okay, without Andrews can run, too. Adam, what about a storyline you're watching with a pass catcher? Listen, Hunter Henry's been practicing with the Chargers, and they're not ready to proclaim him back yet, but I'm told he's expected to play. It won't be on a full-time basis, but he is expected to have some type of role, and when he is out there, he is a difference maker, and he can make a difference in this game, tore up his knee in May, will make it back this season. That'll be quite a story and quite a big boost for the Chargers on Sunday. 